Welcome to the What's Your Revolution show, the show for men and the people who love them, where we discuss how men can find and embrace the healthiest versions of themselves. I am your host, Dr. Charles Corpru. It's 7.30 a.m., and I was sitting on the front porch of our home waiting for my Uber. I hadn't slept much. My thoughts centered on the impending end of another relationship. Another huge fight that led to one of us packing our bags and leaving. It would be me this time. I remember when I was two feet in, in love with everything about her. Style, health, sexiness, intelligence. I was two feet out now. I had grown tired of the constant feelings of falling off a cliff and always walking on eggshells. Never knowing what was going to be the trigger that day that would stir up an argument that I wasn't going to win. In my mind, I had been a good man. I'm not saying I was perfect. We are neither all good or all bad. We vacillate somewhere in between. But I was there through it all. The divorce, the missing 12 hours, the website fiasco. In her mind, she was a good woman, giving me everything that she thought I needed all the while, staying with me through my inconsiderate ways, my failure to acknowledge the breadth of her motherhood, the text messages to other women that cut her to her core, and my actions during our breaks. But what we both needed through it all was something that we couldn't regularly give, time and touch. Long distance is tough and even harder when you have two enterprising spirits, a never-ceasing ex-husband, a child, and four aging parents to consider with every decision, as well as the huge Louis Vuitton bags that have been amassed through decades of pain. Relationships are not easy, and breakups are even harder, but the steps that you take afterwards can determine whether you find the healthiest versions of yourself or not. Today I am joined to discuss when things go left, how to handle and overcome a tough breakup. I am joined by America's psychologist, Dr. Jeffrey Gardier, and What's Your Revolution alum, Dr. Tammy Wilborn. Dr. Gardier, are you with us today, brother? I am, and I thank you, and it's great to be uh, on with both you, Dr. Corpru, and of course, Dr. Wilborn. How you doing, brother? Where are you in the world? Uh, I am actually in Atlanta, uh, working on uh, couples court uh, and as well as uh, paternity court television shows. I got gotcha, you, got gotcha. you. I want to be big like you one day, Doc. <laughs> I know you're doing brother, your thing. Brother, brother, you're a giant now. <laughs> I appreciate you. I appreciate you so much, brother. Let me ask you this first question, man. What's your revolution, Dr. Jeff? My revolution is at my age now, 60 going on 62. Come on, brother. To, yep, to be, to, to continue not just the revolution, but the evolution of being a more spiritual, uh, a more honest, a more kind, a more loving, and a more stable uh, individual. Mm, I love that. I love it. The evolution. Let me just say this one thing, brother. Nobody would guess that you are 62 years old, man. You look good. You look, you look well, real good. Thank you, brother. You look great too. And I, I have to tell you, I do work out every single day, seven days a week. You know, take my, uh, take my vitamins, my codfish oil. Gotcha. Uh, you know, you, you name it, uh, I, I'm trying to do the right thing. I gotcha. I gotcha. Well, I'm, I'm gonna, uh, text you later on for that regimen so I can make sure when I'm 62 and somebody's interviewing me, I, they can, they can have that same response. Dr. Wilborn, is, you know, we thank you and welcome you back to the show. You are our only third time guest, so that is an, that is an honor for us. So, um, you know, you've talked about your revolution before. Just quickly, tell tell the tell the people what's your revolution. Um, I would have to say that my revolution is is wellness. Um, and for me, you know, I was thinking about what does that really mean. And there's there are all these sort of official definitions of wellness, but what does that really mean to me? And I think for me, that means uh, the choices and actions that we undertake to promote health. Um, and also meaningful experiences. 
Um, so, and, and when I break that down, I guess a little bit further, it's sort of the thinking, feeling behaviors that we engage in to have a life that is healthy, healthy being multidimensional, not just mind, body, and spirit, uh, but other aspects of health. And then also that's meaningful to you. you right. Know? That's meaningful to you. So, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Thank you, Dr. Wigar. I appreciate it. We're going to jump right into the show, everybody. You know, we've been talking about relationships and relationships being what are the, what goes into the relationship. But sometimes, you know, tragically, things happen to come to an end, Doc. You know, they come to an end. We, we, we have divorce. We have relationships. Um, we love people so much. We want to be involved with them for the rest of the life. But something at some point goes left. And when do we know, Doc? When, when, when has that been that time? When do we know that it's time for us to actually leave the relationship? You know, we, we tend to stay in that for a while. When is it time for us to get out of relationships that are not healthy for us? Doc, Dr. Gardier, what do you think about that? Well, I'm going to give you a bit of a strange response and say when you're out of it is when you know that you're supposed to be out of it. Mm. And I can tell you, you know, from my own personal experience, being in a marriage for 20 years and uh, trying to make it work, uh, and it just, it just couldn't work, um, you know, I was at fault. Uh, she was at fault, but it just was not working. And she had the courage one day uh, in approaching our 21st year to say, don't you just want to be happy? Wow. And, and I said, yes. She said, well, I'm going to help you out, my brother. I'm out. And, uh, and it, it hurt. Uh, I was a walking nervous breakdown for a couple of years, but at the end of the day, um, I absolutely admire the courage this woman had to start all over again because I would have stayed in it forever because I believe in loyalty. Mm. And, and I don't encourage my patients to do that. Uh, especially if we're talking domestic violence, especially if we're talking dishonesty in relationships. But when it's just not working for the things that happen on a day-to-day basis, you know, you you tend to linger, you tend to stay. And that's why, you know, I always believe in, in, in that saying, uh, sometimes they shoot horses, don't they? You know, we just stay in there way too long and we don't know when it's over until it is over. That's interesting. interesting. Dr. Wilbur, unpack that a little bit. When it's over, how do we know? And that's interesting, when it's over. Because, it, it, Doc, you're, you're, you're so right. We're in it until it's over. And I always say there's a, there's a, there's a moment, there's a sign, there's, there's, there's something that is just going to push us over the edge. What is that, Doc? I think it depends. I think it de- that, that moment for people is individual. It depends on what values you have about relationships and, you know, what are those beliefs that you have about what a relationship should look like. And so I think it's over, in my thoughts, when people, when two people stop choosing each other. Um, Relationships are, I mean, my thoughts, they're they are most likely to be healthy when you have two people who are choosing each other, wanting to be in relationship, in it to win it. And so when you stop choosing that, and start engaging in other actions, right? I talk about wellness as choice and action that reflects that you are not choosing that person, then maybe it's time for you to be outside of that relationship and choosing a relationship that reflects who and where you want to be. Right, right. You say that. And so what are those actions that mean that I'm not choosing my relationship? And this is for either one of you all. What does that mean? What does it look like when I'm not choosing my partner? You know? Mm-hmm. I mean, well, well I, I love what Dr. Wilborn has said because she, she is absolutely correct. When you stop being there for one another, when you stop choosing one another, when you start engaging in destructive situations and behaviors such as affairs, Dr. Wilborn, wouldn't you say that's one of the things that's a very clear indicator uh, that it, when one person gets into an affair, you know that it's in trouble with, but when they're both having an affair, 
uh, or both having affairs or series of affairs, I found in my experience that's when you know it's over and that's when you better not wait until it's over to understand it's over. Right, right, right. Doc, Dr. Gardil, and, and with all these doctors in the room. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Three doctors on the phone together. The interesting thing in the Internet age, in the informa information age, so how would we, just to make sure that people understand, how are we defining an affair? I'll defer to Dr. Wilborn since I jumped in right before her before. No, I think it's. I think that's. Um, I, you know, of course, I'm just happy and honored to be on the line with you. So I, I'm just as open to your perspective <laughs> as Dr. Corpore is. I think, and the listeners. Um, I, the pleasure I, is all mine. Again, I, I go back to what do you define as the parameter of your relationship, right? And so, if the parameter of your relationship is that we are monogamous. And, you know, that means, a, B, you know, we know what monogamy means, then cheating would be when you include, without the permission, without the consent, the, without the awareness of someone else into your life, emotionally, sexually, how, whatever that, you know, that can look a number of different ways. And so it's, again, the choice is removed, the consent is removed. We, I didn't agree to you because there are some relationships where people are open and they, they invite people, but that's because that's the parameter right, for their relationship. Exactly. We had a whole show on that, you know, the True Love Movement. We talked at uh, great length about what monogamy and open relationships are, and it is. It's still about consent. It's about consent. And so if you have not consented, right. if you have not consented to bring someone else into a relationship, if you are out secretively texting or online or Tinder, Bumble, whatever it may be, you know, and you're out there doing those things, then you're doing something outside of the parameters of yes. the relationship. Um, what are some other things that we, we just talked about that really say, you know what, it's time for us to go. You said, uh, Doc, Dr. Gardier, you talked about affairs. What are some other signs that say, okay, it, it's time for me to really think about going? What are some other behaviors that may be happening that are signals that it's time to go? Well, one of the things I see in my practice is uh, when couples come in uh, and one of the um, members of that, of that duo just absolutely refuses to work on any of the issues. They just absolutely refuse to talk about anything or if they are talking they're constantly constantly getting into the blame game and pointing the finger at someone else and not taking any responsibility whatsoever for their uh, behavior and for the state of the relationship and to take it as a step even before that when I work with patients and they tell me that their partner absolutely refuses to come into therapy with them, even though the person who's calling me is saying, we need help. The only way this relationship can be saved is for us to have an intervention. And the other partner states, I will not do it. And for me, uh, and again, I knew in my relationship when I said to my partner, let's go to therapy, and she said, nope. I'm not going. I don't think it can be saved at this point. I, I think that's something that happens to many people and is a very clear indicator and line in the sand that the relationship will, will not improve. Right. And, Doc, it was interesting that you said that it was your wife who made the decision because I was going to ask that question, is this typically a male response that I don't want to go to therapy? Usually it, 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 it has been. I have seen in nine out of ten cases it is the male who, who states he does not want to go to therapy and not to make any excuses for the males at all, but we know that many males and many males of color um, just are not socialized um, by their parents to, and we see with males in general, to talk about emotions and talk about feelings. So there we need to be careful because they just may not want to go to therapy with someone who doesn't look like them, or they're just afraid of the process. It's not just giving up on the relationship. Right, right. Dr. Wilburn, you want to adjust that as well? Or? Yeah, I think that's really important is um, the idea of some of the stigma and some of the beliefs about what it means to be in therapy, right? And so if, if males are socialized, that talking and having emotions and, and certainly expressing emotions is a sign of weakness and vulnerability, 
and therapy is all about expressing your emotions and being vulnerable, then some of that conversation um, is about um, discomfort around being exposed, right? I mean, there's a sort of exposure that takes place uh, in therapy. And, and I think part of the work of, of a counselor is if you're able to have that conversation is to talk about what to expect from the process, uh, you know, so what to expect from the process, but also to acknowledge that, to acknowledge that, you know, from a therapeutic standpoint, you get as a therapist that there's some fear there, there's some discomfort there, and that's part of the process, uh, but also to recognize that on the other side of fear is a possibility of success in the relationship. And so leaning into the fear, acknowledging it, but also using it as an opportunity to, to build bridges. Right, right. Yeah. Um, you're listening to the What's a Revolution show. This is Dr. Corpru. On the line is America's psychologist, Dr. Jeff Gardier, and our own favorite local alum, Dr. Tammy Wilborn, talking about breakups, relationships, and how to, what goes on and why we need to move to therapy, if possibility. Dr. Gardier, my thought process in this is that maybe men, and, and help me out with this, is that maybe men don't want to go to therapy, possibly because they don't want to give up the game. In that session, in those sessions, I have to then divulge honestly and transparently about what I have been doing. Is that a possibility about why some men, and particularly men of color, don't want to go to therapy? That, yes, uh, I think that definitely is a possibility. Um, I have seen uh, situations where uh, it's very clear uh, that uh, the male partner may feel that he has been able to fool his, uh, his spouse uh, but when he gets into the therapy office and we're sitting down, we're all sitting down together, um, it becomes very clear that he begins to be more silent, be more secretive, because he may think that I have x-ray vision, <laughs> which sometimes I do. Uh, that's how we're trained. Right, right? exactly. Um, and therefore, sometimes he may not return in most cases, he may, but the, on the other hand, by the time we see uh, a brother and his spouse coming into therapy, um, that relationship is in deep, deep trouble, and the secrets have already been revealed. Mm. And therefore, it is about now how do, how do they move forward? How do they try to repair the relationship, and how do they try to confront uh, whatever the dishonesties, uh, whatever the transgressions have been in the relationship that they've both engaged in? And so once we can get them past, uh, especially the male, get him past the first or second session, uh, usually I find that they are all in because now this is something that perhaps they've never experienced before uh, mm -hmm. and that is bringing them clarity not just in the relationship but in their own life because after all we do know that when we try to um, deceive our partners or we're involved in some dysfunctional behavior uh, in the relationship a lot of that may be the emotional baggage that Damn. we're bringing into that Damn. relationship as well as the emotional baggage that the spouse is bringing in also. Exactly, and we, both, and we have to understand that, that everyone is bringing something, as I said in my opening, everyone is bringing some sort of baggage. Uh, and they may be Louis Vuitton, they may be huge, huge bags that you're bringing in. If you're not addressing those, both men and women, if you're not addressing those things early on in the relationship, and that's the interesting thing, I think people need to understand, you're going to see signs of your partner and their, their demons very early on, once the uh, what, what, what say one, once the uh, ideal candidate has left the room and you show your real self, you've got to begin to pay attention. Both people need to pay attention to see what's going on, and because it shouldn't be down the road where you say, you know what, I saw this, I saw this actually real early. You know, you should be saying that to yourself. You should be cognizant that you know what, this is something. And then if it becomes a pattern, that's when you begin to openly you know, uh, converse about this. You have conversation about it. This is what this is what I saw. This is what I'm feeling. This is how uh, you made me feel. And both parties need to be receptive. I just feel, Doc, and uh, again, Dr. Wilborn, is that men 
may not be as receptive to hearing their own demons from their partner. Why do you think that that happens? Well, because I think there's some guilt and shame attached to that, right? There's, you know, guilt, shame? Sure, right. Yeah. What? 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 Guilt yeah. and shame? We don't deal with that. Well, and particularly, you know, I was thinking about what Dr. Gardier was saying. Particularly, let's say the female in the relationship is the one that has reached out to get help. And so um, if, the, if the male partner in that relationship is sensing that he's going to show up and be bashed and guilted and shamed because of maybe his indiscretion, that might also be some of that reticence is, uh, you know, she's the one that reached out and said we need help, and so now we're here. Is this therapist going to spend his or her time making me feel bad about what it is that I've done, or is this therapist going to create equal opportunity for both of us to take responsibility and how we contributed to the to the problem. And so, um, you know, some of that work, at least from a therapeutic standpoint, just to kind of go back to what you all were talking about, is rec- is as a as a as a therapist, you have to be clear my my client here is the couple. Even though the yeah. female may be the one that reached out or the the male. I mean, I've had males reach out and say we need help in our relationship. But as a as a counselor, as a therapist, you have to be neutral and say you, my client, is the couple. Right. That's that's right. one thing. The other thing is, um, I want to kind of speak to this idea of you know the ideal versus the real. I think a lot of issues that um, a lot of what creates problems in the relationship for people is that. Oftentimes, they're not clear about what their values are as it relates to, and you've heard me say this before, they're non-negotiables. You know where exactly. I'm ready to go I know that. exactly. Your big T truths and your small T truths. Big T and small, because, you know, a lot of times we value things that we negotiate quite often, and we get upset when those things get negotiated because uh, they're not really things that we are really standing on foundationally. It's just something that we think we should value. You know, people say, oh, you know, you hear this all the time. Men should be providers. Women should be, you know, emotional supports. And there's all these shoulds and musts that become values for us that may not necessarily reflect who we are. And so we show up in the relationship with these shoulds and musts that are values that may not necessarily reflect what our non-negotiables are in the relationship. So maybe your non-negotiable is, yeah, maybe you want a provider, but maybe he doesn't have to be the one that's financially providing. Maybe you need an emotional provider. Being clear about what is it that I non-negotiably need in this relationship, being very clear, being able to and willing to articulate that, and also potentially being being willing to lose the person, if he or she is not that. And a lot of times we're not willing to lose because we don't want to be alone. Right, right. right. It's interesting that you said that, is that and the, the articulation of that to your partner, all right, and how that... I, I, I do have to... I, I'd love to go back go to ahead, something Doc. that go Dr. Ahead. Wilborn said um, just before this, and the idea that, yes, that... You know, uh, even if it is, uh, in this case, uh, if, if it's a heterosexual couple, right. uh, that the woman um, makes uh, the first contact, but the client is the couple. And I think that is extremely important and that needs to be shared and articulated in that very first session. The other thing is, and, and this is something I think Maybe we may agree on, maybe we won't, but I have to tell you that in my therapy when there is, and and, and not to stereotype uh, men of color, but when a man of color comes to therapy with his wife, not only am I fair, but in some ways in that very first session, I treat that man with kid gloves. Because as Dr. Wilborn said, and she's 100% correct, he comes in there with all sorts of preconceived notions that he's going to be bashed, uh, that we're going to take the side of his spouse, that this is going to be a hostile therapeutic environment for him, and he's going to be called to task. And therefore, in order to get him to come back and to give 100% in that therapeutic process, I make a special point of making sure that he feels safe. Uh, and, of course, um, the, the spouse 
we know in most cases that she feels uh, uh, safe, that we make her feel safe also. But I know if someone's going to not come back, again, not talking in stereotypes, it will be the man. And therefore, we need to give a little bit more there to make him feel secure. Right, right. And and that's a, a wonderful perspective to take and a wonderful uh, practice that you have, Doc, because we've talked at length on the show about why men don't go. And in this setting, you know, typically, typically men have been the ones who who have had the indiscretions or the, made the relationship a little bit more challenging. Not saying that women or uh, other male partners don't do that. But when going into these settings and going to, into the therapeutic setting, it is that how is the brunt of this going to be placed on the man? And as we go back to what Dr. Wilborn said, is that how, is, how are the problems in the relationship being articulated early on that you can have these conducive and collegial conversations about this is how I'm feeling and this is how this impacted me, but also hear about why the person's behavior may have been done in the first place. And so you have this push and pull that has to be there because if it's not there and you feel like, well, you said this and it hurt my feelings without understanding why this happened, then you're, it becomes one-sided. And then the other person feels like, well, damn, excuse me, <laughs> that – you know what, I can't do anything. You know, if I say something and it hurts your feelings or this is how it made you feel, this is what I was trying to do. If I Let me at least be able to explain that. Um, so I, I think that as we begin to go to break, Doc, and we uh, want you to hold on with this. I want us to think about before the therapeutic setting, before we even think about going to therapy, we, we're going through this unhealthy breakup. What are some of the things that we actually do, you know, that are unhealthy? So we want everybody to hold on and think about those things. What are some unhealthy things that actually men do once the relationship is over that is not conducive to their long-term health? Stay with us, everyone. We'll be back in a few minutes. You're listening to the What's Your Revolution show with Dr. Corpru and Dr. Gardier and Dr. Wilborn. St. Augustine High School prepares young men for college and beyond. Learn more at the St. Augustine High School Open House, Wednesday, October 25th. For more information, call 504-944-2424 or visit www.staugnola.org. The Whitney Plantation in Edgard is the nation's first and only museum and memorial dedicated to telling the stories of the slaves who played such a significant role in building this country and its institutions. And the Whitney is proud to sponsor an upcoming genealogy clinic where visitors can learn more about their ancestry. Learn, visit, donate, engage. Go to WhitneyPlantation.com. As elected officials, we are constantly making decisions. Sometimes people stand with me and sometimes they don't. But I have always understood that I have a responsibility to the people of this great city who elected me. That responsibility keeps me focused. I am not swayed by obstacles and distractions because I know who I am and I know my purpose. I am focused on the work. The next four years are critical for our city. Crime, infrastructure, race relations, and economic opportunities must be addressed and viable solutions offered and implemented so that everyone can experience the true promise of New Orleans. I got my start learning and engaging with the community. I don't play politics. I focus on the job and I look at the long-term impact on everyone. Let's stay focused, New Orleans. I'm LaToya Cantrell, and I want to be your next mayor. I ask for your prayers and your vote on Saturday, November 18th. Paid for by the LaToya Cantrell campaign. District C voters, on behalf of Women on the Move, Board of Directors, and its membership, we want to send a heartfelt thank you to all the residents of District C who joined us in putting our community and people first. As an independent organization of women, Women on the Move, and the families that we support and work with on Saturday, October the 14th, voted to elect leadership that will address the issues that impact all of our lives, safe streets, decent housing, and social services and improvements to the influence 
infrastructure in Algiers. As we move forward with working together with other community leaders throughout our city to ensure that we have a mayor and council that will fight for and respect the taxpayers of New Orleans, we ask that you continue to join us in electing leaders who believe in putting the community and people first. It's the only way we're going to move our city forward. Again, on behalf of Women on the Move directors, Roberta Brown, Joyce Harrell, Sandra Wilson, Susan Williams, Cynthia Wiggins, Margie Thomas, Sheila Williams, thank you. Paid for by Women on the Move. Do you need help with a mental, addictive, or developmental disability? Are you uninsured, Medicaid eligible, or covered? If so, Metropolitan Human Services District is here to help. I am Dr. Rochelle Head Dunham, Executive and Medical Director for MHSD, where we provide expert care and resources to help you maintain your recovery. Make that first step. Call us at 504-568-3130 or visit mhsdla.org. MHSD is where we change lives. WBOK, 1230 AM, The People's Station. Yo, man. Yo, open up, man. What do you want, man? My girl just caught me. You made her catch you? I don't know how I let this happen. <laughs> The girl next door, you know? I don't know what to do. So it wasn't you. All right. Honey came in and she got me red-handed, creeping with the girl next door. Picture is when we were both up making love on the bathroom door. How could I forget that I had given her an extra key? All this time she was standing there, she never took her eyes off me. Oh, you been at home, my mom says, your villa. Press on the weakness, all the clean on your pillar. You better watch your back before she turn into a killer. Just review the situation, don't you call the pinna. To be a true player, you have to know how to play. Did you say a night can be so say a day? Never admit to a word where she say. I need to claim my youth till I be in overhead. But she got me on the counter. Wasn't me. She saw me kissing on the sofa. Wasn't me. I even had her in the shower. Wasn't me. She even got me on camera. She saw the marks on my shoulder. Wasn't me. Heard the words that I told her. Wasn't me. Heard the screams getting louder. Wasn't me. She stayed until it was over. Honey came in and she got me red-handed, creeping with the girl next door. Picture is when we were both up making love on the bathroom floor. I had tried to keep her from what she was about to see. Why should she? I never used to see you make the trigger low flex. I saw the else in favor, you in the complex. Seeing is believing, so you better change your specs. You know she have a bring up with the things up from the past. All the little evidence, you better know the mass. Quick by your hands, no open back. But if you back around, you know you better run fast. Welcome back to the What's Your Revolution show. Happy having this conversation with uh, Dr. Jeff Gardier, America's psychologist and Wilborn Clinical Services CEO, Dr. Tammy Wilborn. Give a shout out to my producer, Rachel Graham, for picking that song, It Wasn't Me. <laughs> I want to thank my man behind the wheels of stills, Jazzo. Dr. Gardier, thank you for coming back with us. We appreciate it so much. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Before the break, you know, I wanted to talk about the, the breakup has happened. We've been spending so much time talking about what happens in the pre or, or trying to save the relationship. But the, the breakup has happened, all right? What are some of the things that men, and we're going we're to make this last segment really about men. What do men do in the wake of a breakup that may not be conducive to their overall health? You know, there there are things that we do in the midst of a breakup. You know, our boys tell us to do certain things. What are those things that, you know, are harmful to us for our long-term health? Well, uh, you know, and I, I, I think we see this across all races with men. Um, I think it was the name of a book or someone came up with the title that men don't heal, they hoe. And... A lot of what we see uh, with men uh, is that they, when a relationship, a significant relationship comes to an end, they self-medicate um, psychologically and physically with sex, um, either to make themselves feel attractive again 
or to have some sort of a physical release because it uh, it then releases the the endorphins in their mind, uh, in their brain, uh, in their bodies. Right, right. And they also self-medicate at times, you know, with alcohol or with drugs um, and get involved in, in other destructive behaviors, which is a really dysfunctional way for them to grieve, exactly. which is what it's all about. It is about the grieving. It's not about acting out because there's some sort of a sexual animal. It's about the pain that they're in that they can't express and therefore hold on to it and to make themselves feel better, uh, begin engaging in these other relationships, uh, other uh, situations, uh, and they're not ready. And the collateral damage is not only themselves, their bodies, but also the people they become involved with who believe that perhaps there may be a healthy relationship there, but it's not possible uh, because he still is grieving the previous relationship. Exactly. Dr. Wilborn, doctor said that sex is not healthy. He, he just said that sex is not healthy. Why do you think men think that that's, that's the piece? I need to go out and be with one, two, three, five, ten women during this period of time. Because I think part of how men are socialized is that their value is in sex and providing, right? That if you're not bringing it, laying it down, <laughs> right, yeah. one way and, mm-hmm. and the other way, then when I have lost someone, if I'm a man, and I am feeling low and guilty and shamed and, all, and not worthy, I can instantly... Put my value back by going lay it down. Put my value back. Exactly. I, I can e- easily, quote unquote, replenish my value because I know that if I could get me a, can I say that word? Hope Dr. Gardier already said it. I'm already. <laughs> by going and, he already said it. Thank he you for creating that space, Dr. I, I think Gardier. You say it now. As <laughs> yeah. a book title, I know. But since <laughs> you open that door, I can instantly replenish if I believe that's what it's doing, my value by going and having sex. And so um, the other part, I'm, I want to say, uh, speak to Dr. Gordier's point and, and um, kind of talk about something I talked about on a break is that I think that is part of the, the issue is that it is a type of loss. And and as a clinician, how I would talk with any client about loss is, is recognizing and acknowledging that this is a painful experience. It and is. so it is very um, when, you know, when people are engaging in risky types of behaviors, you know, Dr. Gardeer talked about it as self-medicating. And I think during a break, I described it as really it's type it's a type of avoidant behavior. It's my way of avoiding the pain of this loss rather than recognizing this is painful. This is hurtful. And I need to take time, and I don't want to get ahead of myself, to heal, as Dr. Gardeer said, and take care of myself so that I can emerge a better person, healed, and not showing up into this next relationship as wounded still. Exactly, exactly. Where does that socialization come from, Dr. Gardeer? Why that socialization that go out, go out and, and be with so many people, have sex? Where are we socialized to do that after a breakup? Uh, I, I think it's a way to not have to um, talk about emotions, uh, to talk about feelings, but to experience them uh, and to keep it something that's under the covers mm-hmm. uh, and to, instead of crying or instead of being able to show that grief, to instead channel that uh, through sexual behaviors, through lovemaking. And we do know that, yes, sex is healthy and lovemaking is healthy. Um, and we do grieve and, and, and make love with our partners uh, when there are certain things that may happen and sexual healing is real. But here in this kind of sexual healing, as I said before, there's the collateral damage. Right, right. And the collateral damage is that person who you're, who you may be convincing that you are okay emotionally and therefore can be in a equal relationship, right. in a giving relationship, but that person who is so hurt is really just either consciously or subconsciously only thinking about themselves and 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 mourning that other person right, this right. this new person they get with 
it almost becomes like a prop. Right, right, exactly. And we were talking uh, on the break is that I asked this question on my Facebook page yesterday is that what is the one thing that people do, you know, to handle a tough breakup? And women were like journaling, um, putting their arms around their friends, you know, or getting, getting that love and comfort. The socialization around, I, I think, and I'm, again, another hypothesis, Dr. Gardier, is that we don't have those opportunities to have other men put our arms around us and say, you know what, it's okay. You don't need to go out and hoe around to be hoeish. It's okay to spend this time. The socialization actually comes from, can't say that? Uh, okay, all right. I just been told I've been saying the H word too much. Um, but that there's, there's no outlet you know, no positive outlet for people to put their arms around and say, hey, there's another way. We're just not socialized like that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and we've been socialized that for a, a long time. I remember being socialized as a young man, as a young boy, that the the conquest of women was a part of my masculinity, regardless of the stage, the state I was in mentally, that uh, this was a part of who you are. I remember that socialization early on in middle school. Mm-hmm. And then to cope with the loss that are now, and particularly if the woman leaves the man or the other partner leaves the man, then there is this need that I need to reassert my masculinity mm-hmm. because there's a feeling of emptiness and void and that I have somewhat, I'm somewhat flawed and failed. And that's that, that's that issue. Um, so it's interesting how sex plays out because as you said, sex becomes this really, can be really healthy and affirming and a, a loving relationship or a consenting relationship where everybody knows this is what's going on. But if you're not healthy and you're still reeling from a breakup, it may not be the best thing. And that was the interesting thing. So let me ask this other question to this and we'll move is that when do you cut it off? So say you participate in this practice, right? When do you cut it off? Dr. Wilborn? Well, I mean, I think part of, hopefully I would imagine, when you cut it off is when you realize that it's not serving you in the way that you, you thought that it was. I mean, if it's if it is indeed being used as self-medication. But it feels good, Doc. Well, hold on. Because <laughs> it feels good, but everything we know feels good ain't always good for you. So if it is being used, if we, if we stick with the idea that sex is being used when we're using sex, to self-medicate or or using it as a way of avoiding uh, a bad breakup, we probably should cut it off when the medication isn't working, right? As we would discontinue any kind of medication or any kind, when it stops working. In other words, you're sleeping around and having all of these, um, you know, sexual encounters to try to, you know, uh, cope with this loss, and you find yourself more void, more hurt more pain than you were, then it's probably an opportunity for you to look at, I need to maybe do something different. But, you know, your point is well taken is, you know, this idea of socialization and the messages of socialization around men and sexual prowess, I think a lot of it is explicit messaging that, that, you know, that you all get from, you know, where you get it from and where you get it from, family, friends, TV, TV, music. You know, but then there's also a historical precedent for that, right? We can't certainly forget the the role of slavery exactly, and and, exactly. and 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 what the the disruptiveness that that created for us to have healthy relationships and healthy sex, right? right? For men of color, yeah. For yeah. men of color and women, right? Exactly. But certainly for for men of color, and particularly, of course, for women. So I think understanding that if some, you know, as a clinician, one of the favorite things we like to ask is, how's that working for you, right? <laughs> right? How's that working? How's that working out for if you? That, if the sexual it's working out really good right now. Is it, yeah, if it's the not, sexual encounters, is, that medication isn't working, you're going to stop it. Yeah, exactly. Same thing is true for sex. If you're using it as an opportunity to try to self-medicate or avoid and it's not working for you, then it's possibly time for you to start looking at what else must I be doing to, one, heal and then be able to grow into a space where I can have a healthy relationship again. Right, right. You're listening to the What's a Revolution show. On the line with Dr. Jeff Gardier, American psychologist, and our friend, What's Your Revolution's alum, Dr. Tammy Wilborn. Let's, let's move into this. I want to make sure that every time that we talk, everybody that listens to the show understands that they can take something away. So opportunities for professional help. We understand what an unhealthy breakup looks like. We, under, we understand what are the unhealthy things that happen. Um, one of the things that came up yesterday in, in the Facebook conversation was some of the other troubling behaviors that men exhibit toward their partners in the aftermath 
of breakups like keying cars, angry texts, stalking, malicious posts on social media, contacting people from your person's past, right, can be very problematic. How do we overcome doing things that are unhealthy to us and our former partner? Dr. Gardia, what do you think about that? I think it's the way that we frame the particular breakup. Um, many years ago, I came out with a, uh, a term. I don't know how original it is, but I called it the healthy divorce. Mm-hmm. And I wrote uh, several uh, articles about it. And basically, the tagline was, we want you to be in a healthy marriage, but if it doesn't work out, then we certainly want you to have a healthy divorce. Mm, mm, and so the out. divorce can become uh, that learning situation, that teachable many moments of learning how to be healthier in your next relationship so that it has a better chance of working. What went wrong in the last relationship that you can perhaps make some self-correction, make better choices. And therefore, if that is your mindset, that means that you are uh, uh, engaging in that divorce with a sense of dignity uh, in a way to keep yourself and your children, if you have children, how to keep them healthy. Um, And so you will not engage in very destructive behaviors and trying to hurt your previous partner. You will, more than anything else, try to maintain yourself with that sense of dignity and doing the right thing and trying to take yourself in a place of positivity and light. And I have to tell you, that is exactly what I did with my particular divorce. Right, right. Dr. Wilbur? Was to learn and to keep the dignity, and that's why my ex-wife and I get along very well. We can't be in the same room for any more than 30 minutes, but for that 30 minutes, we get along very well, and it's always about the children. She's gone on to a healthier relationship, and so have I, because we have both grown and had a healthy divorce. Gotcha, gotcha. Dr. Wilborn. Mm-hmm. I want to I build from that what Dr. Gardier said, because I think it's important. It's actually one of the things that that I wrote about is that um, there needs to be a period, before I get to what Dr. Gardier said, I'll back up a bit and say I think one of the things that's critical uh, to, to this process is really being patient with your pace for healing. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. I think a lot of times part of the, uh, the, the extension of the grief is uh, people, you know, I should be over this by now. I should be over him by now. I should be over her by now. Why am I still crying? Why am I still on the floor in the closet without recognizing why are you looking like that? <laughs> hey, I've had an on the floor in the closet I, moment with a breakup. No, I wasn't looking that in, in any type of response. I was just like, okay, that yeah. was that was uh, a response. Like you oh. got to remember, I'm a counselor, so I read faces. I, I got you. Right. Yeah, but, I do. I understand. But I think, I think, you know, being patient with your process of grief and loss and being able to let go, I think, is is critical. I think as part of that is um, also the self care, taking care of those basic self care needs, eating getting sleep, exercising, drinking water, taking care of yourself and, and, and not feeling guilty about that. But the thing I want to connect back to what Dr. Gardier said is, and I think a lot of people don't do this, is having a moment of reflection. What happened? What are the, what's the lesson here that I need to learn? What's my responsibility in this situation? What's the responsibility of the other person? What do I need to now do differently so that I can emerge into the next relationship having learned whatever it is that I need to learn so that I can have, again, the relationship that I, that I need to have. But if you are sleeping around, jumping from the next one to the next one, not allowing yourself an opportunity to, to retreat and reflect, then you are likely to repeat some of those same cycles. So part of that process is including the reflection piece as part of it. You know? I saw a lot of that yesterday with men and women talking about the reflection, writing down, journaling. But the interesting thing that I think that, and, and maybe this is a maturity piece, 
as you grow is that you begin to ask the question, what is my role in this? And again, I'm throwing out a hypothesis is that men are not going to ask that question. Some men, they've, they've got to be mature enough to ask that question. What's my role in the end of this relationship? What did I do? Instead of trying to look at our partners and saying, you know, you caused this. You know, as I said in the beginning, we are not all bad and we are not all good. We vacillate somewhere in, in the middle. We have a responsibility because our relationship would not be here if it wasn't for both of us. My, my reaction to your behaviors, your reaction to my behaviors, everything that goes on. But we're here and both of us are responsible for that. And so I think that is the mature aspect and mature question as a part of this healthy growth post relationship. You've, you've, you've cried. You've been in the, you've been in the closet. You, you've done your thing. You've, uh, participated in practices that I can't say on, uh, on the air anymore. You've done those things, but now we're moving toward this healthy phase. So let me ask this question to both of you, please. Uh, Dr. Gardia, you go first. Is, is closure important? If so, why? Why, why is closure important? And if, if so, why? I think it seems to be almost a natural order of things, uh, that there's a beginning, there's a middle, there's an end, and it seems like the complete journey. Uh, and therefore, the closure is important uh, because the closure is where we learn uh, many of the final lessons, though in reality we continue to process for years after. But that closing can be one that can be a healthy one. It's one where you can say to the partner, uh, I'm sorry that it didn't work out for either one of us, uh, and therefore we will move on as co-parents or just move on in our lives and wish each other the best. That just in itself takes away and erases so much of the negativity and the pain to be able to have that closure in a healthy way, even if you're not necessarily feeling it, but being able to put the words out there and put a roadmap as to how you want to move on with dignity, I think is so important. Right, Doc, unpack that a little bit more, Dr. Wilborn. What does that actually look like? You've been through this bad breakup. You've called me names, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> You've called me names. You've done crazy things, right? Or at least what I term or somebody would term crazy, right? But now both of us need closure. And, and as Doc, Dr. Gardier just said, it has to be in a dignified uh, with integrity, with honesty, with with hopefully love, how do you do that? Mm -hmm. Even even because that breakup was ugly, ugly. How do you do that? I mean, I I think the the idea that closure is an actual order of things is is critical in understanding. You know, one of the things that I tell clients all the time is all relationships come to an end by rather by the choice by by choice or by design. So. Part of the closure, I think, is uh, the acceptance that the end is here, but also, I think, recognizing that the acceptance that the end may be here for this relationship also now creates an opportunity for the acceptance that there is opportunity for a new beginning somewhere else. But part of that also includes some of the things that we've already talked about, you know, being patient with your process, allowing yourself to feel the pain of the relationship. Um, Hold on one second. I, Cause I, I heard that as well I, I, on the list of things, allow yourself to feel that pain. Yes. Emotional pain stays longer, mm -hmm. right? It could be there for weeks, months, years. You're telling me to sit in that? Yeah. Because what, what? Why? to sit in that pain? Yeah. It hurts. Unfortunately. I don't like it. Yeah. But, but, but when we understand that our, that our healing is intricately linked to our pain, then we will, we'll be able to embrace it more. We can't heal unless we embrace the pain. We, it's intricately linked to it. And yeah. so, yeah. No, I, I totally agree. you know, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just giving it to you. Um, that's an interesting thing. Recently going through a breakup and really allowing myself to sit in this pain, uh, the pain of the loss. For me, it was one of two occasions where I really thought that this was the relationship where, you know, it was like, OK, I can do this. I can see myself involved in this for a long period of time. And it didn't work. And there's a lot of anger there. But I've allowed myself to understand that I can be angry at this. I can be angry at everything that happened. Um, and allowing myself to feel that, which is something I would have been like, hmm. But it has also been that opportunity for me to look really, really deep inside of myself and say, who do I want to be 
after this? Who's the man that I want to be? And how do I then comport myself and show up? Because I didn't show up all the time. And how do I show up every day in the relationship, regardless of the space, time, continuum that it's in? And so, um, Doc, Dr. Gardier, let me ask you this question, because we've talked about, okay, the relationship ends. And this will be our last question, because time always flies. Is there opportunity for reconciliation? After after a tough breakup, it, is there opportunity yes, for reconciliation? And how I do you do there that? There is opportunity for reconciliation, and the reconciliation may be something that is cursory. Uh, it might be surface, and sometimes that will just have to do. Uh, but the important thing about the reconciliation is even if the other person does not accept it, at least you have a reconciliation within your own mm. heart, soul. And mine. Right, right. Is that a is that a letter? Is that a phone call? Is it a text? It is a Facebook messenger? Is it a flowers? What what is it for some sort of reconciliation? Can't talk. What does that uh, look in like? In the interest of time, Dr. Wilborn. I think it. De- I think it. It depends. I mean, it, it. It is whatever it is. It is whatever you need it to be for you to be able to accept that it's the end. Let go. And move on. I got you. I got you. I might want to get back and together. Sometimes it is that letter. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it is just a letter if the person doesn't want to talk to you. And sometimes that letter can then be the gateway right. for three, four, five years down the line where you can approach the person face to face and say, I'm sorry. And the person can say that they are sorry too. Right. And I think. That's really important. Exactly, exactly. Dr. Gardier, man, this has been a, a pleasure and honor, you know, to have America's psychologist, uh, the man who is really, you know, continually facilitating the right conversation with the right people. I am honored. It was a pleasure to meet you at the National Association of Black Journalists, uh, to spend some time with you and to then have you on the show with me. It, it is a real honor. Uh, I wish you well and great success. And hopefully, hopefully at another time, we would love to invite you back, if possible. Thank you. The honor was all mine. And Dr. Wilborn, thank you so very much for being a partner in this incredible show that Dr. Corpru put together. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Next week, everybody, we'll be talking about post-breakup, what it's like to date in the age of Bumble, Tinder, and Grindr. Um, You know, interesting conversation next week. So... If you are on Bumble, Tinder, or Grinder, and you'd like to come on the show and maybe talk about your experiences, please reach out to me. See Corpru at wyrevolution.com, or you can hit up Rachel Graham on her Facebook page. Everybody, thank you for listening to the What's Your Revolution show, and always answer the most provocative question of your life. You know what it is. Have a great week, everyone. Take care.